Hey, folks. You know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. Nothing is more of a downer to your stoke than facing legal problems, and lawyers have made the whole thing more complicated than that 5-to-1 pulley system you used to haul Uncle Phil up that 5-7 on his birthday. But seriously, facing legal problems and finding a lawyer to help can be pretty gnarly. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Family law, criminal, injury, bankruptcy, and a whole bunch of other arcane things that you never thought would happen to you right up until they did. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll say, you really town. should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Hey there, just a little reminder that today's show is brought to you with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim makes the best ropes on the planet. They will save your life. All right, how do I get this thing started again? Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Enormal Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is April 1st. The local time here in Catalonia is about uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. And I'm sitting in the back of my buddy's van on the street in a tiny village, the name of which I actually don't know. I, he told me what it was. I couldn't understand him. Anyway, I am somewhere in northern Spain. I'll give you that, all right? On today's show, we have young climber Paige Clausen. Conversation with her. Um... So you're probably thinking about this point, like, what the fuck, Calouse? Colombia and now Spain? That enormous cast sounds like a cash cow. And yes, uh, funding a globetrotting climbing lifestyle with this podcast is indeed a lovely fantasy. However, if you've been listening for a while, then you know that a couple foreign trips every once in a while has always been in the cards for this enormous life. That comes with the usual sacrifices and creature comforts and security, but the rewards are immense. And besides, give me two months and I'll be bitching about work on these intros again. So just wait for it. Still, uh, the Royal We has indeed brought on a new sponsor, Dan Markoff, who is a partner at Atkins and Markoff, a law firm out of Oklahoma. But keep in mind that Dan, a climber, splits his time in Colorado. But anyway, he approached me about seeing what kind of legal representation climbers might need. So this is not one of those sponsors you can patronize a little here and there so the normal cast sees a few ducats like our friends at Defiant Bean. Rather, if a few of you out there have one of those real-life problems with the law and don't have that aunt or uncle or sister or buddy or who, whoever 
a lawyer in your camp, then maybe consider emailing Dan about the issue. It happens, you know, despite your best efforts to avoid reality by climbing all the time, life will occasionally turn on its own or an attack. And if the normal cast in Atkins and Markov can help out, well, then we all win. So email climbinglawyer at gmail.com and see what he has to say. There's no obligations, no problems. And though Jeff has graciously given up his lead spot on the cast, Defiant Bean Roasters is still on board and always will be our charter sponsor. So you can still go to defiantbean.com and enter a normal checkout for a deal on great coffee. Don't forget. And finally, think about stopping by the website, anormalcast.com, and click on the Help Out tab to see what else you can do to keep the show going and get me a little closer to climbing down off the painting ladder and going on the Cast World Tour. All right, a little more news. April is here, which means that the Five Point Film Festival, reference episode 10 with Kelly Cordes from last year. Anyway, the festival is coming up in my hometown of Carbondale, Colorado, April 25th to the 28th. And I am going to be MC one night. And there are some other Enormal Cast theme festivities planned, I believe. So if you have a hankering for some great films and fun, come check that out if you're in the area or if you're a Colorado one or whatever. Uh, fivepointfilm.org, that's the number five. Pointfilm.org has tickets and details. And I'll keep you updated on the Enormal Cast Facebook page as well. Okay, today's show, let's get to it, is with Paige Clausen. Yes, that's two A's and two S's. Paige has to be the sweetest, nicest hard climber I know, which belies the driven, never-give-up, pit-bull attitude she brings to climbing. Um, and I caught up with Paige in Salt Lake City during my return to the Roadway Inn for Roadway Chronicles Part 4. But I'll just let our conversation speak for itself. So thanks for listening. Let's get to it. A conversation with Paige Clausen. And now I do not have any pets. My parents don't have any pets. Petless. I thought Stimpy was a cat. I don't know. Well, we never watched the show Ren and Stimpy. Oh, okay. Because we were pretty conservative. Right. <laughs> yeah, that one's But the bad. dog came with the name. We that, couldn't change it. <laughs> That's one of those shows that actually, whether you're conservative or not, you wonder if children should watch that one. Yep. <laughs> Period. Yeah, we were so. pretty young, so the dog <laughs> kept his name. We didn't watch the show. Right on. Um, and what are, you, uh, what are you doing here for the show? I'm here talking to Marmot and helping camp out at their booth. Uh huh. I just work at the camp booth and kind of give them assistance since it's a three-man show. And right. I distract people who are going to distract them. Okay. So run like interference. People like me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other – so you, you're sponsored by camp? I am. And you're working with Marmot in some way? Yes, I'm an athlete on the Marmot team. Oh, okay, cool. So – Camp Marmot, La Sportiva, and Maxim Ropes. Nice. Yeah. All right. Good group. All right. So I'm sitting here uh, in Salt Lake City with Paige Kloss, and this is, um, I guess, part two or three of the Roadway in Chronicles that I started last summer. Um, this, oh, actually, this is part four, actually. Wow. So, And it's going to be an ongoing thing I think I'll do for many years to come because I love the Roadway in. It's an honor. You're at the Roadway. Yeah. Yeah. You're in <laughs> such a... 
esteemed company as as James Lucas and uh, Randy Levitt. Yes. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's perfect. Um. Anyway, thanks for coming, Paige. And uh, did I say your name, Paige Clausen? Paige Clausen. Yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. From Boulder, more or less. More or less, Estes Park. Estes is where you grew up. I grew up in Estes. Um, my family moved there in when I was in third grade. Okay. Went to high school there, moved down to Boulder for school, and just graduated. From from CU? From CU. As what? As a marketing student. Oh, right on. So I switched around a ton. I went from pre-med to nothing to Spanish to the business school and finally decided that business was pretty broad, could use it in the climbing industry, right. could go outside of the outdoor industry. So it was a good option for me. Well, I'm impressed because I was going to kind of, one of my lines of questioning was like going to be about, you know, this world of, of professional climbing and all that sort of thing. And, you know, what, what your sort of long-term goal was, but you got this backup. You actually went to college and got a degree. Right. Yeah. And to me, it's not really even a backup. I actually want to use that mm -hmm. and go back to grad school. I'm not really sure for what. Right. It may not be business, and that's why I want to take a few years off and climb and explore sure. and kind of figure out what I want to do next. Right. But I don't plan on just climbing professionally long term. I don't see that as sustainable for myself, uh -huh. uh, more mentally. I like to be mentally challenged constantly, mm -hmm. and climbing provides that in a sense, but I like working towards other things as well. And um, climbing will hold that place for a little bit, but... I want to move on to other things as well. Okay. So we'll see where that takes me. Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing that you bring that up because basically unsustainable for at this point anyone and the, those who try, like they have some semblance of of an existence, but it, it definitely can you know run up against a lot of problems as you get older and what exactly it's doing for you anymore and if it can be made into some sort of monetary thing or right. any of those things, you know. Yep, and there's a few people who make it work, but for the majority of us, it's hard to make it work long term. Yeah, you'll end up in a van down by the river for sure. Right. So, <laughs> and even if it would work financially, I'm not sure that's the path I would want to take. Right on. So, well, let's uh, let's go back to the start of this path then, yep. um, and how you got into climbing. So, my family moved to Estes Park when I was nine, mm -hmm. and my parents were kind of trying to find a place for me. I tried soccer and swimming and was basically horrible at everything. So they took me to the climbing gym in Estes Park, and it clicked right away. I loved uh -huh. it. Um, I made it to the top of the wall. I thought it was the most fun thing ever. And they put me on the climbing team there right away. It was more of an after-school program, just sure. like a little thing that had local competitions, and I loved those, got on the climbing team, and basically never looked back. Uh -huh. So I definitely owe that to my parents and my lack of talent in other sports. Right. Well, so. That's a pretty common story, actually, among climbers. It is. Know? Climbing's kind of like the misfit sure. area. Yeah, the, the land of misfit toys. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone finds their spot. Yeah, because we used to, I actually, you know, I guided in Estes Park and lived up there for summers for quite a few years. And, right. Uh, I think I actually let your dogs out once. My dogs? I didn't have any dogs. No? No. Was it Jeff's? I don't know. Anyway. I might. It might have been a house I lived in with dogs. Okay, it might have been that. That was probably it, actually. Okay. So I didn't know that's you at our the connection. Time. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No, I lived with plenty of dogs. I just didn't have them. So yeah, that's completely reasonable okay. assumption. Well, creepy backstory. Were you Were you paid? 
No, it was just like a one-time thing. Someone oh. else was watching the dogs, and they were oh. like, oh, can you go let them out real quick? Right, okay. Anyway. So. Well, I um, the reason I was going to say that is because we used to get these pickup basketball games going among the guides. Okay. And uh, either in the parking lot at CMS up there on the hill yep. or down at the park. And uh, it was just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen is a bunch of climbers playing basketball. Oh, yeah. Like, so I was reasonably good compared to everybody else, and I'm terrible basketball player well it's funny you bring up basketball because there was one point about i don't know five years ago or so maybe longer where i was like i'm sick of climbing i don't want to do it anymore i'm gonna convert to basketball Uh uh-huh and my dad was just like oh no because he loves team sports like that right and i was horrible at basketball like can't do anything with a ball and so he was just hoping that would phase out and i would go back to climbing because that was just going to be an embarrassment for everyone. Uh-huh. It only lasted like a week. Okay. So <laughs> it didn't go beyond the driveway of our house, but uh-huh. yep. It's a good thing I got re-motivated to climb. That's cool. So your dad was like probably being a good dad and saying, yeah, like, honey, oh, you're you gonna can do, do that great. if you want. That's great. I'll help you practice. Yeah. Maybe you can make your first basket soon. Yeah, someday. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Do you yep. have brothers and sisters? I have one brother. Uh, his name's Sam. He's two years younger than me. And how old are you? I'm 22. 22. So um, comparing you to the other great young climber that we know of from Estes Park, you're a few years younger than Tommy, right? I am. Yeah. Yes. Obviously, you probably know each other, though. We do. Yeah. And his dad, Mike, was one of my coaches growing up. Mm-hmm. So we got okay. posters signed by Tommy. Right. Um, so that was... That was someone really cool to look up to. I had the poster of Tommy on Tabolt. Uh-huh. And I was always like, man, that's like climbing the drywall of a house. Right. I can't believe he's doing that. Right. And now that's a route that's one of my goals for this spring. So awesome. It's kind of cool to To bolt or not that. to be in, in uh Smith Rock. In Smith Rocks. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Wow, I just had uh Mayan uh Smith Gobat on and she's gonna try to be up there this spring too. So, yeah, she's yeah. all about Smith right now. Right so on. All right. It'd be well, cool to climb with her. Yeah. So, have you ever been on it? I have a couple times, um, but not seriously. Uh huh. Felt felt okay. Doable? I could do all the moves, oh. but it's one of those things. It's Forget like a giant it. You're done. slab. You're practically done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just have to link the twenty mm-hmm. hangs I did. Mm-hmm. So, no big deal. I no don't think you should worry about that. No. So, you're up in Estes Park. You graduated high school up there. I did. And uh, at any point, are you getting outside to climb? Uh, a little bit, but I okay. hated climbing outside when really? I was younger. Um, probably from the ages of nine to maybe 17, I was uh-huh. just not into climbing outside. I was a total gym rat, only wanted to compete. I was just all about competitions. All right. A bunch of normal cast fans just reached to turn this off. Don't do it. We'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's They're kind of like, embarrassing. Ah, whatever. The little shrimp kid doesn't even want to climb outside. It was totally that. It was super embarrassing, and then all of a sudden it clicked, and uh-huh. last year I stopped competing, and now I'm just climbing outside. Okay. So maybe you can pull but those you people had, back. But you had started climbing outside before last year, or did you yes. just start last year? No. Okay. <laughs> I started before, probably when I was 17. Okay. So there was a bit of an overlap. Okay. But and um, what didn't you like about it when you were a little kid? And I assume you were pretty little. I was pretty kid. little. Yeah. It's not like you're a giant now. No, not exactly a giant, okay. but I don't know. We would kind of always go to these areas like Lumpy Ridge. I wasn't a huge fan. 
the rock's really crystalline and sharp, right. so when you're little, it's not that fun. Uh-huh. You have to hike. You have sure. to eat Cliff Bars. You can't, like, bring your box of donuts. Right. It's just not quite the same as going into the gym and, like, messing around with your friends. No. You know, and that's actually, I think that's a really good point that you just made, is that for a lot of kids, I mean, you know, it's social. It's something to do with your friends and exactly in a big group and all that sort of thing, which, you know, for so many dyed-in-the-wool climber types, myself included... You know, the opposite of that is true once we get older, that it's a lot about getting away from every, everybody. Well, but we exactly. all forget what it's like to be a teenager. Yeah. You know. But, but it was interesting to see that transition because I definitely went from the really social aspect of just wanting to hang out in the gym. That's part of the reason I loved competitions when I was younger because it was just this big social night of everyone mm-hmm. climbing together. And then slowly... I kind of found myself, I was really close with my climbing team. There's okay. a big group of us that were really good friends. and But I started to want to climb outside more and take it more seriously. And on practice nights, I'd want to train rather than just hang out. So that was kind of the start of the transition. And now my favorite areas outside are kind of the quieter ones, more removed from the crowds. Mm-hmm. I like to hike now, which helps. Right. <laughs> um, kind of gets you off the beaten path and... For me, I like choosing projects that you have to work a little bit to get to. Uh Nothing alpine, like crazy style. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still sport climbing, but (laughs) I don't know. I think when you have to work to get somewhere, you really have to commit to that route. And it's like another level of committing to something rather than just driving up to the crag and being like, oh, well, like all I have to do is walk five seconds to the wall. So if I don't feel like doing it today, it's not a big deal. Right. You don't have to make every day count. Can you give me an example? So, like, for the monastery is one of my favorite crags okay. up near Estes. Yeah, and it's a, a ways ways outside of Estes, but considered an Estes Park crag. Yeah, but I was I was climbing up there mostly when I was down in Boulder. Mm. So it was, like, an hour, hour and 15-minute drive, and then people complain about the hike. It's not really that bad. It's, like, 30, 45 minutes. Right. But, but a for lot sport of, climbing, that's yeah. considered a ways. Yeah. Yeah. There's many, many cliffs in the world. That would be amazing, but no one's bothered to develop them because they're 45 minutes away from, exactly. from where you park. So Exactly. Yeah. So that was an example where at each day that I would hike up there, I knew that I needed to commit to that route that day because uh-huh. I couldn't waste a whole day of like driving and hiking up there and then right. deciding I was unmotivated. Uh-huh. So it kind of forces you to really put that effort in, is which that, I like. Is that place popular? Or were you were you climbing with a bunch of people around, or was it also pretty solitary in terms of climbing up there? Because it's been, I mean, it's been a long time since I lived in Estes, and right. that was only developed even at the end of that. And so I never really, I don't right. think I ever climbed up there in the height of its popularity. Right, so. and I think it's a little of both. It's it's definitely gaining in popularity, uh-huh. I think. But you know, during the weekdays, it's pretty quiet. Mm. You might be the only person up there, mm-hmm. you and your partner. But on the weekends. You might be in line for routes. Right. There's only a few routes up there, really. Yeah. I mean, there are more, but in that one corridor, there's like, what, six or seven uh-huh. that are all five-star routes. Right. But there's not a lot of space for everyone to spread out, so yeah. a little of both. It's kind of like these rows of sort of leaning tombstone kind of rocks. Exactly. And these steep corridors in between them that one yep. side of the, of, the, of the sort of sedimentary row is overhanging in one side is is somewhat slabby right so it's it's a really amazing spot actually it's very pretty up there it is yeah. and i really like the climbing there because there was really only one way to the top 
on each of those routes. Mm -hmm. Um, So there aren't a ton of other options for skipping holds or bumping. It's like you either do that beta or you don't do the route. Yeah, because it's somewhat smooth in between the edges. It is, oddly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like I, I, it's it's kind of hard to describe, but it's a it's granite, but it's got sort of that smooth, almost patinaed quality to it on the steep sides. Yep, with these splits through different parts of it. I like it because it looks like a map. There's like an Africa sector down low and a South mm-hmm. America sector up high. It's kind of a cool feature. Yeah, totally. But no, it's a cool place, and you know, saying that you didn't want to climb outside earlier on because it really makes sense because there's. Other than that area, you know, um, and then a smattering of a few routes here and there, there's there's very few things outside Nessus Park that feel anything like the gym. I mean, there's very Not little steep all. climbing. There's very little sport climbing. There's very little bolted climbing, at least immediately around town. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I remember, in all honesty, having the exact same feeling of, of guiding all day. And then wanting to go climbing after work, you know, because you still have three or four hours of daylight left. But right. but that would mean having to turn around and hike right back up to where you just spent your whole day hiking to and from. Yep. And it was I just had the same feeling of of it was really difficult to motivate because there wasn't other than the thumb and needle at that time right there right. in town those five bolted routes or six or whatever on that one side of it there was nothing else to go right. just like oh we got a couple hours we'll hit it. Exactly. And we don't have to hug, you know, lug a bunch of gear up there. We can just bring quick draws. Like that didn't exist, mm-hmm. and even the monastery doesn't exist because you can't get out there fast enough. Right. So I can't. You know, I'm not going to diss you too hard about not <laughs> wanting to climb outside because if you're used to climbing in the gym and steep stuff, and yeah, you it's know. just it was comfortable there, and I could push my limits in like a very controlled way. Sure. Whereas outside, I felt like. I couldn't even get to my physical limit because there are all these other things stopping me. Right. And so, yeah, if that's your attitude, which it would be if you'd started in the gym, I mean, then you're out there dealing with gear and and multi-pitch climbing almost without exception. And so, right. yeah, so it's a whole nother ball of wax, really. Yep. So, I can, I, you know, I can totally understand that. So. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's an acquired taste to climb on slabs, which is what it is. Lumpy Ridge is. So. Well, and now I, I love slab climbing, but... Even yeah, still, but what you call I don't a, like what you're calling Ridge. a slab is not a slab. I can well, guarantee you. <laughs> I've done a few slabs. You're like, oh, yeah, Smith Rock is all slabby. It's well. like, yeah, well, not exactly. <laughs> Vert. Yeah, like the the Anifil slab. No. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. That's like barely overhung. All right, I know. I'm just saying, like people who sport climb call I know, things like true. the Anifil slabby. It's true. When it's definitely pretty steep. But I do know what a real slab is. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Yep. I'm trying to keep those fans engaged. Yeah. You gotta <laughs> keep within the rules. The ones the ones that, you know, yell at five fourteen sport climbers that they can't climb five ten cracks. I mean, I'm guilty. Oh come on. I'm horrible at crack climbing. Yeah, but you can climb a five ten crack. I don't know. I haven't tried. <laughs> e- except when I was nine on Lumpy Ridge and okay. definitely didn't go then. Right. All so right. Well, if you're uh, willing to take me out, I'll I'll give a go at a five ten crack. Yeah, well, you'll you'll find yourself on one eventually somehow. <laughs> I'm sure you'll do fine. All right, All thanks. Right, yeah, so get Lisa to take you out. All right, Done. thanks, Lisa. Yeah, totally. So, um, all right, so you're you're moving up through climbing. You you graduate from high school, and then you moved to Boulder to go to school. Yes. Okay, and now you're starting to climb outside a little bit. Yep. As well as uh, continuing to to uh, uh, compete. 
Yes, I did both for a while. I started climbing outside before I graduated high school. Okay. Probably when I was about 17. I was like, okay. I like this climbing outside thing. Sure. Like, it's fun, fresh air. You found some You could still have your friends. Yeah. Um, And Rifle was where I was really like, okay, I can climb outside. This is sure. fun. Yeah. Because it is, yeah. it's the gym. Yeah. You drive up. And it's the same people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of what got me hooked. And then right. from there... I kind of expanded mm -hmm. into liking other areas and areas further out. Well, let me ask you some stuff about competition climbing. Yeah. Um, how serious did you get into that? I took it pretty seriously. I loved competing, and I loved the pressure of competing. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, probably before age 18, I never got nervous. So I think that was something that really helped me, That was that I kind of thrived under that pressure. Okay. And probably the majority of it was pressure on myself that I created, and I liked that. And I did well in front of a crowd, and then as I started to do better in bigger comps, I mm -hmm. think the pressure built from the outside, and even if that wasn't in reality, that was in my head, okay. that I had more pressure right. from outside. And so then I started to get nervous, and it became this whole head game, and I still enjoyed it. But I think really the turning point for me where I was like, I don't know if I want to compete anymore was kind of just the cattiness that happens between competitors. And mm -hmm. I think especially between girls. And when you start to compare yourself with your friends and you are hurting those relationships mm -hmm. and, you know, climbing's a small community and I didn't want to lose those friends or harm those relationships. Uh -huh. And I wanted to climb for myself not to to beat other people. Uh -huh. And so I was just like, I don't think this is a healthy thing for me. And I love climbing outside now, so I'm going to choose to set the competitions aside, mm -hmm. focus on my own objectives outside where I can push myself for my own reasons. Okay. And who knows, maybe I'll decide I want to compete again someday, but for the time being, I'm content without it. Right. So were you traveling to do this? Were you... I mean, did you ever, did you, were you going to Europe and things like that as well? I was, a bit. I never did the full World Cup circuit, okay. but I competed in, let's see, I think two youth world championships, uh -huh. and then I did adult world championships in Barcelona one year, and a few World Cups in France and Spain, but I never did super well in them. Basically, I think it's hard for Americans to do well in those comps because okay. of the roofs, and I never understood roof climbing, and that is something totally new to Americans because we don't really have those in our gyms. Okay. And it's not just climbing out a roof. It's like twisting around these volumes, and I kind of describe it as being underwater and not knowing which direction is up. Okay. And I would fall in every single roof, every single competition, and other people just float through the roofs. That's just like another little obstacle. It's not the crux. And so to clear this up, you know, as opposed to a, sort of a continuously overhanging wall, like a sweeping right. wall, which definitely, you know, in modern gyms in the States, that's like these big sweeping features. You're talking about an angular, like... Super angular, 90 degree right. changes. Yeah, to turn over. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like an exactly horizontal roof. Yeah. That's longer than you would expect, enough so that mm -hmm. your feet... Like, both your hands and your feet are on the roof. Right. And there's probably big stalactites hanging down or some sort of weird and volume. And then it turns back to, back to uh, 
vertical like just or just beyond. Him. Yeah. Right. And so turning those lips, because I've done that in, in rock climbing and outdoor climbing and found it to be sort of horrendously awkward and weird. Yeah, and disorienting. Your sure. feet aren't underneath you. Sure. That was always the stopper point for me in competitions. And I realized So what, that- what do you think? I mean, why do you think they, they're they prone to design their walls that way and American gyms aren't? Well, I don't know. There's always been, I think, a big gap between the American and European comp scene. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a bigger deal in Europe. Sure. Especially I mean, with the public. Yeah. They... Everyone knows what rock climbing is. Sure. Here, even in school, people are like, oh, did you go really fast? And you're like, uh, that's not really the thing. Right. But I don't know why we haven't designed our gyms that way up until now. And mm-hmm. I think it's, I think the reason is that younger kids and adults too are becoming more serious about competing internationally uh-huh. and like with the, the prospect of the Olympics. It's becoming important that Americans can compete on these roofs sure. if if that's going to be in a competition right so i think a lot of these new gyms have these roofs huh. which is awesome for these younger kids that have to learn how to maneuver them right so, well that's really interesting actually because i would have never i mean and this is probably the case as well because it, it can't it almost can't not be i mean i just assume americans probably weren't quite as good for the most part because we just don't have the culture of it where you know kids are starting you know, we don't have as many kids starting as young as w- what they do over there. Right. But and it's interesting to to point out that roof thing because right when you said it, you know, I've seen pictures of competitions in Europe. And there's I've, always a roof. Right. And I can see the guy all stretched out in this weird position, like with one foot over the roof and facing downward. And like, right. I can see it in my mind right as you said it. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting because, yeah, it's totally true. Like right. those big entrepreneur walls with the humongous roof at the top of them. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of arets too. So especially in bouldering, we would just look at the holds that go up the wall. Mm-hmm. But there you might use the whole side of the wall right. and like bump up the arete. And so I would totally miss that in a comp and sure. just try and use the holds and it's impossible. Uh-huh. And everyone else just hits the side and it's easy. Mm-hmm. So just learning those little intricate things that are so obvious when that's the kind of wall you grew up on. But right. when it's not, you don't know how to use those natural features. So I definitely think that there's tons more kids starting to climb at a younger age now. And with the new gyms, they're being exposed to that. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, We've already seen what this upcoming generation Mm -hmm. is capable of. But I think as they grow up, it'll be really cool to see how they compete. So in my sort of life of, of watching this happen over the last 20 years, having sort of been around... I wasn't a climber then, but just a couple of years after I started the first snowbird competition, the infamous right. you know, ABC sports thing on the side of the snowbird, yep. all the way up through, I, I've been kind of wondering, you know, and, and to put in perspective, like the way that someone like Katie Brown sort of blew the doors off of not just competitions here, but in Europe at such a young age right? and was like, you know, destroying these women that had been doing it for the longest time in their 20s. I'm kind of wondering, is it or has it become something of like a gymnastics type thing to where, you know, once you hit a certain age, are you almost without a doubt over the hill and and sort of grasping? Is it a really young, a sport for the young, you think? Or is there a way to continue, you know, into, you know, long term sort of look at it, not just with, with men or women, but with both? Right. 
I'm not really sure, but you look at those rosters of of who is competing in these international competitions, and there are people in their 40s competing okay. and competing well. All right. So I'm not really sure where that age thing plays in. I don't think that we can really tell yet because it hasn't the competition age hasn't really gotten there. Okay, yeah, so, so this generation has to get to that point to find out. Right. But, yeah, it's a good question, and that's definitely been floating around um, as some of the stronger climbers, you know, get into their 30s, but they're still pushing the limits of uh-huh. the sport and their own limits. Right. So I feel like as of now, there's not an age where you start to okay. go downhill. Well, I'm just sort of thinking of the stereotype of the – you know, the the little girl who right. just sends your project because she weighs like 42 pounds, you know? Totally. And you sit there grumbling like, well, it's because her hands are so small. Like, she, <laughs> you know, those those holes feel huge to her. Wait till she grows up, you know? Right. But may, maybe that's completely ludicrous, too. I don't know. I think there's there's plenty of differences in body type and everything. And, of course, younger kids, they're super strong, but they have less weight to carry up. Right, and, right. But then they have to transition as their bodies change. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really hard, especially with girls. Right. If their bodies change really fast and all of a sudden you have to learn how to deal with right. like this new body that you aren't used to climbing with. Totally. Yeah. So, but there's something to be said for just all these strong kids out there. Sure. So I don't think it's all attributed to small hands. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. That's it's, it's total horseshit. <laughs> But you hear it, right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, the 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 sort of changing body thing though is just absolutely re- real, right? You know, for certain people, and it's unstoppable. Exactly. And there's some, you know, obviously you can train train it in a different way, but there's a point at which, yeah, sometimes things change, and and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So, but I also, you know, I just have heard, and and this might just have nothing to do with with uh, with any sort of physical change, but I have talked to you know, plenty of people that they competed as kids, they competed through their teens, you know, and then right around like your age, there's always seems to be this sort of transition, at least with some of these American athletes to climbing outside, you know, expedition climbing and becoming a different type of climber. And it kind of seems to happen like, you know, college age. It does. And I think a lot of that is like when you're in school, you're kind of forced into the gym because you might not have time to go outside for a full day or spend the weekends climbing. And so you can train in the gym and that allows you to compete well in a gym. Right. But to really be in the top level of competitions, you've got to be training in the gym all the time. Sure. And even training in Europe all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to balance, I think, that being in the top in competitions and being at the top of your game outside. And of course, there are examples of people who can do that. But for the majority of people, it's kind of like you got to choose. And that that was how I felt, at least, that Uh I needed to either commit to competitions so that I could be at the top. But I was not willing to put that time in training Mm -hmm. in the gym. Mm -hmm. So that was where my decision came. And also, the evolution of competitions has changed climbing a lot. And I feel like the type of climbing that's in competitions is almost an entirely new sport. It's very gymnastic and a lot of circus tricks. And I kind of wasn't as into that as mm-hmm. more consistent climbs. Okay. That's what I like is consistency. I don't want to climb some jugs up to like a crazy dyno and then spin around and, you know. Sure. I know that 
that exists in areas like Kalimnos or wherever, but I like the more consistent face climbing and Mm -hmm. that's not really what you find in competitions. Okay. So it's kind of just preference, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you know, while we were just talking about it, it occurs to me that there is a ton of sports exactly like that in the sense that, you know, I always kind of point out that, that you might as a, a guy or a girl play basketball. We talked about basketball earlier, like a fiend all through high school, like you're living for it, you know, right. you're, you're this student athlete two a days and all that sort of stuff. And then for most of the people, it ends when they graduate high school, a handful yep. of people go on to do it in college. And then it ends for them when they get out of college anyway. And it's, you know, and then you think about some of these people five, six years later, they're in their thirties and maybe some of them like play a pickup game of basketball, but it's like, Basketball is gone from their lives as as right, something they ends. participate in, or you know, I think of girls' sports in particular, like volleyball. Like it's gone. You, you're you're done playing volleyball when you graduate high school. For mo- and you know, you go to right. like the the family reunion, and you know, you're out on the on the court and you can dominate. You know, for for one <laughs> yeah. afternoon because you used to play varsity volleyball. But you know, so maybe there's just something about being a teenager and being in that position to want to be on a team, to want to compete you know, to want right. to achieve in that level that maybe just goes away for us. Well, and I think one of the things is having the time, like when you're a kid sure. in high school, sure. you have the time to commit to right. training all the time. Mm-hmm. But in college, that starts to go away. And then if you're trying to balance being at the top of your game as an athlete and holding a full-time job, like that gets tough. Right. So that's understandable. All right. So let's get back on track with your life. So you are in college. You're, you're moving into outdoor climbing and that, and you just graduated what this spring? No, December, a month ago. Oh, right on. Like a month ago today. Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. Did your, well, your parents were probably psyched too. Yeah. Yeah. They probably were wondering if you were going to wobble off the path. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I hope not because that was definitely never an option for me. Right on. Um, I really liked school Mm -hmm. and I'm a pretty academic person. Right. So I like the studying thing, and I'm definitely ready for a break, but there's never a thought of, oh, maybe I should climb instead. Uh-huh. So. And you kept climbing in the gym and getting out on the weekends and yep. and breaks and stuff like that. And I always found I could be pretty motivated with school because I had to earn my climbing days. Sure. Like I had to work really hard during the week so that I could go out for a day on Saturday and go up to the monastery and okay. work on my project. Uh-huh. And I had to make that day count again. So... That's where I was able to balance school and climbing was you make your climbing time worth it mm-hmm. when you're there. So are you climbing still with some of these kids uh, that you that you started climbing with in the gym? Or do you have a new group of people? Or I don't have the opportunity to climb with my old team as much anymore. Some of them don't climb. I still get to see some of them every now and again, which is awesome. A few of them are on different teams now. In Boulder, some of the ones that were much younger than me Uh are still on teams. But I definitely have found different groups. It's kind of always evolving, and you meet new people and have new partners. But there's definitely a core group of people I like to climb with Mm -hmm. in Boulder. It's fun to have, like, people your age and people older than you and stronger than you and, like, everyone at different levels. I think that's one of the really cool things about climbing is you don't have to share ages or abilities or anything because mm-hmm. you can all learn something from each other yeah and i really like that yeah that's totally true i end up climbing more and more with like young dudes too so <laughs> i'm like the old guy hanging around because so many you know it's like 
so many people sort of fall away from the sport. Right. Yeah, so it's like I'm just out climbing with Hayden Kennedy, who's like almost 20 oh, years younger than me. So Hayden's so motivated. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> He's awesome to climb with. Yeah, so so let me ask you a bit about your climbing. There's a lot of people out there, and we're at the trade show. You know, I wasn't there very long today, but you can look at people and say, "Oh yeah, they're climbers," and right. you know, and I don't see that in you. No offense. No, like if you were, none you taken. know, to sort of walk into a restaurant, I would never say, oh, yeah, look at her. She's a climber. There are definitely some guys and girls who, you know, right. I'm like, OK, you know, they have a, they have the, the shoulders in the back and everything else. And right. even even when they're in sort of street clothes, they look like they could punch you out or whatever. So so let me ask you that about your climbing and, you know, how you deal with the physicality of it, whether you've uh, are you really strong or whether you you're sort of technique oriented or. You know, before you answer that question, I, I did ask some people around about you a little bit. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, because, you know, there's only so much I can gain by sort of looking around on the internet yep. in terms of, like, your accomplishments. And since this show is really about your personality, I thought, well, I'll ask a few people who know you. And we have a very close friend, Lisa Hathaway, that we do that uh, filled me in. You know, I talked to some guys, and most of them just, like, wanted to talk about their crushes they had on you and oh, I didn't great. get much information out of that. But Lisa was really good and, and she's climbed with you up at Mill Creek and um, on a, a route that you've been working on yep. quite a while called The Bleeding. Yep. Um, and she project. Yeah. And she talked about you having sort of a really strong just a sort of work ethic and attack ethic like of not letting go and not taking and trying really, really hard and right. also being someone who definitely you know is sort of a quiet climber mm -hmm. so anyway can you sort of ex you know explain maybe the way you think you climb well i definitely think that the mental aspect of climbing is huge and relying on both that and technique is really big for me because i don't see myself as a super strong climber okay i think that goes along with what you're talking about that i don't really look like a climber and people say that a lot they're like oh you climb like i can never see that right but you're, she's just to put it in perspective, Paige looks like she's about 40 pounds overweight. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. No, no, I'm just kidding. She, she, but, you know, to the, to anybody else, she's incredibly fit. I'm just saying, like, you don't, you're, you're not sort of like packing these huge shoulders or anything. That, that's all I was no. getting into. But no, anyway, I sorry, don't keep have going. Like I didn't crazy mean to muscle definition, all that. Um, so I really try and rely on technique. And I think that's why I like more technical climbs. I'm not a huge fan of, cave climbing, the big, steep, tufa stuff. It's mm -hmm. fun, but I feel like I excel more on faces that are just gently overhung. Mm -hmm. um, footwork is super important to me, and just finessing moves, which is great, but I think it's also a weakness of mine, and something I'm trying to work on is just the pure strength, because I think that could really help my climbing. I'm really poor at dynamic movements, I like to drop knee and static as much as I can. And if I could just pop to things, I think that would help me a ton. Okay. Especially on the bleeding. Right. So that's something I've been trying to work on, but it does not come naturally to uh -huh. me. So. So you're like, a, you probably seem maybe a little old school. Maybe. Yeah. I like kind of old school places. Like right. Smith had its heyday. Sure. And that's one of my favorite spots mm -hmm. in the world. You're like the Steve Hong school of climbing. Yeah, yeah. Steve just taught me to, to bolt. Oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Steve's all about steep rifle stuff. Yeah, that's true. I don't true. think I, I just would compare I just myself always to like, his style. Think of him as that just like, you know, slow movement, yep. you know, controlled. 
climbing style. My friend Jeff Aki is really similar as well. Like, yep. You know, they just slowly, like a sloth, like cruise up the wall. and <laughs> That's you know. kind of me. But I need to learn to climb faster and mm-hmm. pop and all of that. I think it would really benefit my climbing. But you're a boulderer. Well, I liked bouldering competitions. Okay. But I don't like bouldering outside so much. I've been doing it a little more lately, uh-huh. but it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I like falling I agree on with a you rope. Completely. I agree with you completely, but I have my own complaints about about old joints that even on a, right. on, a on a pad hurt when I hit it. But, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I'm so fine being you're run kind out of a delicate at Smith. little flower. I'm a delicate little flower, <laughs> <laughs> but like being run out at Smith above a bolt, I feel pretty comfortable. Sure, but me on bouldering, like I get spooked. <laughs> right, right. So. Well, there's certain places you you ought to sort of find yourself a little bit happier, right? You know, but yep. yeah, I guess you know in your in your zone, if you're going up into Rocky Mountain National Park and those places, like that's where you see those like just epic, crazy pad setups that you know yeah. look like people are going to ricochet like four times when they come off of a boulder palm. Oh, then you got to carry all those pads. Up yeah, there. exactly. I'd yeah. rather carry a pack like a heavy pack than sure. a big piece of foam. But that's another story. Well, uh, you know, you just said how you're not that strong, but one of the quotes that uh, that that Lisa gave me were "fingers of steel." So, <laughs> well, Lisa has her own opinions that I feel like maybe misguided. Right? Okay, sounds um, good. She thinks I'm really good in the cold. I'm horrible in the cold. Really? I don't like being cold. That's what she brought up. Actually. I know. I knew she would. <laughs> but no, you forced I forced her to go up to. Well, that's really interesting, too, because she's usually the one that's, like, dragging people up to Mill Creek when it's freaking cold. That's what she says. Yeah. But I don't like being cold. That's why I'm not a skier. I'm not an alpine climber. Okay. Um, that, I'm a sport climber. Right. You climb in, like, high 50s and 60s. Sure. sure. <laughs> that makes total sense. Let me go back to and ask you one more question about your climbing. Again, this thing, these things came up about trying really hard. Right. You know, you're a projector. And it's interesting because you just mentioned to me that you also can be very academic when it comes to school. I mean, is that sort of the crossover there in terms of like you're 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 analytic and you're willing to sort of put the time in and, and kind of break it down? Yeah, I've never thought about it in the analytic way, but it's more like I really like to focus and narrow in on something. Mm-hmm. And when I see something I want to do, I want to commit to it wholeheartedly. Okay. And it's hard for me to see other things and want to do them. Like Lisa's always trying to get me on other routes in Mill Creek. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I no, I have to work on the bleeding. So that's cool, the whole projecting method. But I'm trying to learn to be more open to just climbing whatever is there. Uh-huh. Because when all you want to do is project, it means you're not clipping anchors very often. <laughs> right, right. So you're just falling all the time, which... I've learned over the past year can be very frustrating. And sure. I hurt your confidence, and I think confidence is a huge part of climbing mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's not the brute strength that's going to get you up the wall. It's, again, that mental part. Absolutely. You have to believe that you can get up there. Mm-hmm. And so when that starts to get destroyed and you start to question that, mm-hmm. it's just a cycle. And I feel like that's what I've been stuck in a little bit. Sure. Um. So I kind of have to build myself back up by just climbing whatever's there. It doesn't have to be the hardest thing. It doesn't have to be a project, mm-hmm. but just building back up the ladder. Well, and it can it can be antisocial as well. 
Definitely. I mean, especially, you know, as you're talking about how you used to be this kid who wanted to hang out with everybody. And, you know, you luck out and you get Elisa Hathaway, who's right. super stoked to go up there and climb at that crag. But, but otherwise, most people yeah, are not. <laughs> right. Or, or just the fact that, yeah, day after day, time after time, you know, everybody's like, so where should we go climbing today? And Paige is like, let's go to Mill Creek. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I know. Like, I've tried to pull people from Boulder there and they're like, right. uh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've obviously project a bit, nothing like that, but even in a short term, right. you know, you're just kind of trying to steer everybody over. Yeah. Well, let's, why don't we go, um, where do you want to go? I don't know. Maybe we should uh, head over this direction. Let's you know? drive like, eight hours right, to Utah. Right. Exactly. For so, the weekend. So I, I suppose that could weigh on you. And also the, uh, you know, we've all experienced the, the it doesn't matter try that turns into the sand. Exactly. You know, and and the whole it's like a Taoist thing. You know, suddenly you're not trying and you succeed. Yep. And you know, there's not a climber out there that projects that hasn't felt that. And exactly. So, Just the no pressure attempt. And- yeah. Like I'll do one more burn today and then all of a sudden you're there. So, yeah. So I have another question about projecting as long as we're on that, you know, when you were working on one of these projects for so long and right. it's requiring, you know, resources in a sense, like you're driving out there, you're spending your time when you finally do clip the chains. I mean, do you get, how do you end up? I mean, I know how I do and most climbers end up after all that work. But, right. You know, do you have a sense of accomplishment or are you just like, thank well, God it's over? It's kind of hard because I feel like sometimes I put so much pressure on myself that even after I send something, I'm like, oh, I should have done it like a year ago. I oh, feel right. like that's it's how too late. I've put so much time into the bleeding that I can't quit. Like I've got to finish it. But at the Ooh. same time, I feel like, when I finish it, I'll just be hard on myself. I'm like, oh, I should have done that like five seasons ago. Right. Because when you finally do it, it'll probably feel easy. And then you'll think, like, I don't know about that. Well, but <laughs> You know, you'll probably feel like, well, I should. Yeah, exactly. Like, I probably could have done this. Right. If I'd have just gotten my head right or whatever. Yep. Yeah. But deep down there is that sense of accomplishment that you put so much effort into something and like mm-hmm. you worked for it and you right. earned it. Right. So I like that. I think, again, like a lot of. The listener base for this is, you know, are these sort of outdoor travely climbers that the idea is to do as many pitches as you can. And so I was, I've gone through these phases too, where I sort of roll my eyes at the, at the full on project projector. Yeah. But, you know, when you get down to it, there is a lot to be admired about someone who's willing to, you know, throw themselves at something, you know, for 99% failure and 1% success you know, put themselves up against that is a pretty challenging thing to do. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's something to admire or if it's just stupidity, but (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone just finds what, Mm -hmm. what is fun to them and like what gives them that sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I like the whole process of getting super frustrated and angry and discouraged. And it's like this whole mess roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And then finally in the end, it's all worth it when you clip the chains Uh but some people hate that right you know and there's no like right way right it's just what works for you right as long as you sort of enjoy that process at least somewhat right and it doesn't look enjoyable because it's like might involve some tears might involve like (laughs) some pouting in the corner (laughs) but (laughs) in some weird way i like that yeah but life involves tears and pouting in the corner it does yeah so Oh, well, let me switch gears here, and um, I wanted to 
to ask you about your upbringing. Yeah. You know, and I talked about a little bit about this earlier, but um, you, you were brought up fairly conservative. I was. Yeah. And Christian. Yep. Yep. So, and you've entered into this world that I think probably is generally pretty hedonistic. Um, I think climbers have a tendency, if more so than not, to be sort of vocally, uh, you know, anti-religion or or have a, have some some problems with that. Um, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. And right. If you live in Boulder, there's a lot of sort of, you know, incestuous boyfriend girlfriend swapping. <laughs> That goes Definitely. on as well and everything else. So have you run up against that? I mean, where are your values in terms of, of confronting that? Or maybe I'm making this up. I don't know. I was, no. I was wondering about what you might have to say about that. Right. It's actually pretty interesting because you think of climbers as this group that like likes to party and has these very strong opinions, whether it's about religion or politics. Mm-hmm. But that's there. But I've always found that people are super open to different ideas Mm -hmm. because some people have these super wild, crazy ideas. And most people would include my beliefs in that segment of wild, crazy ideas. Okay. But I've never run in, at least to my face, Uh to people being like, that's stupid. Like, I can't believe that's what you believe. No one's ever been that judgmental. People have asked questions, Mm -hmm. which I'm fine with that. Um, like I'm not a super forward person and so I, I would never want to push that on anyone, Mm -hmm. but I think the majority of people know where I stand and may or may not feel comfortable asking me about that. Okay. And that's fine. But no one's ever judged me to my face about it. I'm sure plenty has gone on behind my back and (laughs) (laughs) that's out of my control. Sure. That I don't really mind whatever. Uh Um, but I've always been really impressed with the climbing community uh-huh. that I've always been respected. No one's tried to like nudge me, trying to get me to do something or to push my boundaries, mm-hmm. which I really respect because I think that's something like, especially when you're a teenager that you face a lot. Sure. So I've always been really appreciative of that and kind of tried to return the favor of like, we don't have to all be at each other, like pushy and sure. So, but well, let me ask you this about your family. So, mm-hmm. we're, I don't have kids, you know, but I have plenty of friends who have daughters. Right. And plenty of guy friends who have daughters. And right. And so, as your dad and your family who have these sort of values and, and maybe look out into the climbing world and sort of see the same things that I do, you know, were they ever concerned about you pursuing this life in climbing? Let me, let me back up here and say that it is a life of kind of, uh, that, that really values sort of freedom, freedom of thought, freedom right. of action, and maybe a conservative lifestyle doesn't necessarily involve that as much. So was there a concern as 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 little Paige went out into <laughs> this world that maybe there'd be these temptations or anything like that to sort of change your values? Definitely. Um, I think that was definitely a concern that my parents had and have, but... I mean, you're in a hotel room with a strange dude in Salt Lake City right now. Yeah, I mean, you can't get any more creepy than this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think they realized that that's my decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that I have to choose and that they have to trust me on. Sure. And I still, I'm still a Christian. Mm-hmm. I still believe what they do. I may be, you know, like... I live in Boulder. I may be slightly more liberal than them. Sure. But I still hold those same beliefs. And it was really important for me to go through a time where 
I confirmed those beliefs kind of as my own rather than as something passed on by my parents. And that okay. was really important for me to not just say, you know, I believe this because that's how I was brought up and mm -hmm. that's what I was told to believe. So I definitely went through a period, not really a rebellious period at all, but where I just kind of questioned what I believe. Sure. And that was really important to me because now I feel like I'm in this place where I hold these beliefs that may be different than everyone else I'm around, but I'm okay with that. And I mm -hmm. feel like that's what's right in my heart. Sure. And so I'm comfortable with being around people who don't believe the same thing as me. And I think there's a big misperception about Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that. Like, I mean, I'm weirded out by plenty of people out there of, <laughs> of all religions or who don't sure. have religion or who believe the same thing as me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times people are only exposed to the weird sides. Sure. And so that's really hard. That makes hard. better stories. It does. Yeah. And like the people out on the street, maybe screaming that you're going to go to hell if like insert whatever. Sure. But you know, like you said that maybe conservatives, conservative beliefs don't embrace that freedom thing. Mm -hmm. And I definitely understand where that comes from, but I don't think that it has to be that way. Sure. And, you know, like, I think that I can embrace both my Christian beliefs and the more free-thinking ways that come along with climbing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, we're outside every day when you're traveling. You're just out in these, like, vast expanses of nature. And for me, like, that's kind of where my beliefs come in. And sure. That's really special special for me that out where I'm climbing, that's like almost a place of worship for me. And mm -hmm. those trigger words like worship, that's where people start to get weirded out. Mm -hmm. and, well, I've heard it. I mean, that those words get used by right. all sorts of outdoors people. So it's not right. that odd. No, it's yeah. not. And it doesn't, I think people jump to really like, I don't know, extreme associations with worship but sure. it's just like being in this place that i believe god created and mm -hmm. um that's really special to me so you know there's there's a lot of miscommunication mm -hmm. among people as well too but i just want to be able to practice what i believe sure and if people want to ask questions about that be a part of it not be a part of it that's okay. That's their choice. Um, as long as I'm able to, you know, do those things that are important to me. Well, I, I've found like, e even though as I started this conversation, this part of the conversation by saying that climbers were anti-religion and a lot of times, and maybe that's not quite the strength that I want it to be. Like, I feel like a lot of climbers, you know, we're very irreverent and, and that we're also willing to give you know, people shit about just about anything. Right. And, you know, I think that oftentimes it, it, it can feel like it's, you know, judgmental and all those sorts of things, but people are just, we give each other shit about everything. And I think right. about the reason I bring this up is like, there was a time when I was in Indian Creek and, uh, there was this Mormon kid down there mm -hmm. and like, I mean, classic, like just goofy blonde haired, like teenage kid he'd hitchhiked out there and he was hanging out at the fire with the likes of uh this guy Rody and and uh 
Micah Dash was there and just like that crew, like really hardcore. Yeah. You know, and, and they like sort of were needling him and, you know, giving, yeah. and trying to sort of like corrupt him. But I think that in the end, they weren't necessarily like judging him. It was just their way of like, well, we're going to, we're going to mess around with them. You and know, that's like our nature is to like see if we can irk the other person. And the problem is, is that I think at times, and, and you certainly don't come across this way, but, you know, as soon as we step over into that, you know, the person does become truly offended and starts to starts to feel like they're under attack. And they are under attack, but, you know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll make fun right. of anybody for anything because exactly. we're irreverent. And I think in the big picture, we're all just curious. Mm-hmm. And when someone believes something vastly different from you, whether it's religion or, who knows, something really simple. Sure. We're just curious and, like, why? Why do they think that, and I don't? Right. And sometimes that curiosity is played off in whatever, making fun of someone or trying to like corrupt them, as you said. But from what I've experienced, it's never come from a harmful place, and like no one's tried to corrupt me. Sure. And so. I think I think like you know, never is a pretty absolute word. Right. You know, I can only imagine Definitely. that there's been times when it has, you know, because climbers are people and right. and people are, are going to find ways to be prejudiced one way or the other. So They are. And again, yeah. I'm sure that goes on behind my back, but right. well, I'm what, okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like you're okay with that. So Awesome. Well, let me ask you one more thing and, and then we're going to wrap this up. So you recently went to Peru on a little sort of mini expedition to do yep. what exactly? So we were on a trip. A few of the marmot rock climbers. It was like an alpine bouldering expedition or something like that? It was. We hiked up two days into the Peruvian Andes, mm-hmm. into this valley that no one really goes into. And two of the guys on our team, Pete Takeda and Mick Filari, were going to try the peaks there. Mm-hmm. And Abby Smith and I were going to develop boulders. So okay. we set up this base camp, hiked in two days, I think I said that, and set up base camp and... Just in every direction from base camp were boulders. Some were too small to climb. Some were too big to climb. But just fine-grained granite boulders everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty incredible. I had never been on an expedition before like uh-huh. that where you're totally removed from everything. Like we were in the mountains for 30 days. We had a satellite phone for the last two weeks. But for the first two, we didn't even have a sat phone. So it was like... Someone gets hurt. It's sure. serious. Yeah, yeah. And I know that's like <laughs> common to mountaineers, no, but for just a sport climber, you're like, oh gosh, a sport climber who's bouldering and is scared of bouldering mm-hmm. adds in this whole other like mental thing. Right. So it was a really cool experience for me though to just be up in the mountains and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And you know it's going to teach you something. <laughs> you know you're going to learn a lot by being up there and mm-hmm. being lonely. And becoming closer with the people you're with, mm-hmm. that was something that was really cool because I knew Andy Mann pretty well, but most everyone else on the team I didn't know super well. So it was cool to get to know everyone, and you really have to rely on those relationships, even if they're not very—they didn't start out very strong. You didn't sure. know the people very well, but those are your friends for the next month. Right. So. Um, I was really impressed because I had heard a lot of expeditions where no one got along, everyone came back and hated each other, mm-hmm. and we really all came back and everyone still, everyone was friends, everyone was closer than they were when we started. Sure. So 
I feel like that was, from what I've heard, rare. I don't know. But regardless, it was special that that was how it turned out. Yeah, I, I, uh, I remember this. It reminds me of climbing up on proboscis. Oh, geez, in like 1996, you know, I don't know, you were what? <laughs> Six. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, but, and we were bol- we were bouldering to pass the time between rainstorms and somebody pitched, uh, I think it was my friend Chris and, you know, missed this boulder, but like scraped his leg, you know, pretty badly. And we actually had forgotten to bring a radio. I know as stupid <laughs> as that sounds, but we... Somebody else was supposed to take care of it. We all thought, and no one did. And so when he like hit that hit that ground and like scraped himself up, we were just like, "Okay, we're done with this." Because yep. yeah, it, we were like sixteen days away from pickup. You know, plenty yeah. of time to get gangrene and freaking you know oh, lose yeah. your leg. Yeah, so you gotta be careful. The most, you know, we climbed a, a route on proboscis that was a four, you know, a four plus or whatever. And the yep. most dangerous thing we did was that day of bouldering for sure. Like without <laughs> a doubt, true. like that was the closest we probably ever came to anybody, like either dying of some infection or, or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Cause when you're up, I mean, I don't have much experience in the mountains at all, but it's like, you have to look at weather and there's so many other aspects. And with mm-hmm. bouldering, it's like every time you leave the ground, you just know that when you drop down, like it could be something really quick. Like you just roll your ankle mm-hmm. and inevitable when you leave the ground that there's that risk right but you can't really like plan for it or do much i mean that's okay but like a you know a compound tib fib fractures like i said it could be yeah could really go south really quickly definitely well it's interesting that you guys went on an expedition where you got part of the expedition was simply to boulder up on right because that's such a typical like past the time thing that you do when you're on an expedition anyway so i mean it only makes sense that somebody eventually is just like well let's just just do that. Let's just do that. All right. <laughs> right. Well, here, here's a little tip for you. Okay. And for the, the Marmot team or anybody else wanting to do this, is if you drive the road from Santiago over to Mendoza. Okay. Okay. And it goes up past Aconcagua over some huge pass. It's a paved road. Okay. But there is up near the pass, okay, the highest point, and that's right where the uh, the border is between Argentina and Chile. Okay. I think just on the Argentinian side. There is a massive boulder field. Really? There. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of rock, but it looks good because it's not, it's sitting on grass, which implies to me it's not eroding. Right. And some of and them are like. for nice landings. I'm into that. Well, and also some of them are like sport climbing size, like humongous Ooh. boulders. See, that's what gets me interested. Yeah. So <laughs> just, I don't, I mean, it's probably been people climb there. I mean, I saw it 10 years ago. All right. Out the window. Huh. So I've I've always thought about it and I don't know if I'll ever go back or if if people have gone in there and developed it, but it's really clear from the road and I, yeah. So, well, I'll have to ask around and do some research. Go check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever that pass is, I'm almost a hundred percent. It was on the Argentinian side, just a few kilometers down from the little pass. Uh, cause there's a little, um, station there to check your passport. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's way up there. Yeah. High altitude. Yeah. So anyway. Cool. Well, thanks for the tip. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) You'll probably go down there and be like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Chris. (laughs) Yeah. You'll get over and then, and they'll be all like head height. Yeah. I'll be like, well, from a distance, they look really good. I don't know. It looked better from the car. (laughs) 
<laughs> right on. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about, Paige, that we haven't hit? I mean, we hit some pretty broad points there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Yeah, we've been at it for a little over an hour. So um, awesome. You have a, uh, some dinner plans tonight. I need to get you to. So. <laughs> I'll let you go. And I really do uh, appreciate you coming and sitting down. It was a fascinating conversation. Cool. Well, I'm glad. Thank you so much for inviting me. That was fun. All right, folks. Wasn't that nice? I think the Clausens just raise them up right up there in Estes Park. That's all I can say about it, I think. And as an update, since this uh, interview was recorded, Paige went up to Smith Rocks and did indeed send one of her dream projects to Bolter Not To Be, an old school 514. Just did it a couple weeks ago. Good job, Paige. Way to keep at it. And in other news, since the intro to this one was recorded... I talked about the Five Point Film Festival there in Carbondale, Colorado. It has been announced that we will be recording a live normal cast that is taped in front of a studio audience, kind of in TV speak. Anyway, never done one of those before, but should be fun, so come check it out if you're at the film festival or you're in town in Carbondale. It's going to be at Steve's Guitars, 10 a.m. Saturday the 27th. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some uh, mimosas going, a little coffee, whatever your, whatever your stimulant or depressant is, it will be available. And I do believe Kelly Cordes is booked. So those of you who've been asking me to get Kelly on, he's coming back and you might as well come see his mullet live and in person. All right, that's it for this show. Remember, you can email me at chris at com with concerns, critiques, ideas, and just plain love. And once again, spring is here, so get out there and climb, and don't forget to check your knot. I told my pap and ma'am I was coming to the mountains to trap and be a mountain man. Acted like they was gut shot. Says, son, take your life, go here. Here's where the people's is. And mountains is for animals and savages. I said, Mother Gew... Rocky Mountains is the marrow of the world. By God, I was right.